For the next couple of moments in our time together, I want to unpack this statement to you. Jesus died in order that we may die. He lives in order that we might live. That is, through the gospel, we are united with Jesus in his death. He died in order that we may die. If we are united to Him in His death, then so also are we united with Him in His resurrection. I trust this is what you have gathered to hear, prepared to once again rehearse the glorious truth of the gospel that Jesus died that you too may Die. And die well. Paul goes on to say this. That is the Apostle Paul as he was writing to Timothy. This is trustworthy. Trust you. Believe that. You've gathered to hear it. It is indeed for you what you are trusting in. He says, young Timothy, this is a trustworthy. Worthy saying. If we died with him, we will also live with him. Through the gospel, a sinner is enabled to die with the prospect of resurrection. By dying in Jesus, so also will he or she be raised. In Jesus. So Paul is, thus is, was read for us from 1 Corinthians saying, if that is not true, if Christ is not raised indeed, your faith, what you're banking on is null and void. It is of no value if he was not raised, for the value is in his resurrection. I want to celebrate the truth and the power of this through the gospel of Mark. If you would with me join and turn in your holy scriptures to Mark to look at the truth that Jesus died in order that we too may die and he lives that we might live. Mark in his gospel in the 15th chapter is where I will be beginning with you this morning looking at the truth of the resurrection. Beginning in the 15th chapter I will read for you verses 42 through 47. We will come back and begin making comment in verse 42. If you're there in your Holy Scripture, beginning in verse 42, follow along if you would please. And when evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, He took courage. And he went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already been dead. Summoning the centurion. He asked him whether he was already actually dead. 
when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse of Jesus over to Joseph. Joseph bought a linen, uh, bought a linen shroud and taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud, laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. He rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. In the decades before and after Jesus' life and death, there were dozens of messianic movements in Israel. The rise of a leader who proclaimed indeed to lead the kingdom of the Lord. To, to gather a people to promote peace and liberation. Dozens of messianic movements in Israel. In the context of Mark's gospel that is written to the people believing in Jesus. They too were hearing the messianic movements. You remember it was Jesus who warned them in Matthew's Gospel. Many will go out saying that, I saw the Christ, I saw the Christ, I am the Christ, I am the Christ. Don't go out to them. Don't go out to them. Then he began to speak to them the truth of who he was and his return. Because again, it makes sense. There are a lot of messianic movements in this context of the Gospel. But there is something unique about the Messianic movement, the church. Unlike all of the others. That which set the Christian church ablaze all the way to the 21st century. The common thread that they didn't share is that the Messianic leaders, likewise, just just like This Jesus of Nazareth died by execution. But unlike all of the other movements that died along with the leader, cease and desist, it's over, and everybody went back home. Mark labors to show us it is a very uncommon thread Jesus was raised. Don't go back to your homes. It's not over. Unlike all other movements of, here I am, here I am, I am he, I am he, come with me, follow me. They all died by execution. So did Jesus, it's the same. No. Jesus was raised. And he commissioned us to go and to tell everybody, that they too might die and be raised. That set ablaze the Roman Empire. Gave birth to the church, the formulation of all Christian doctrine, that our hope is not in vain. And it didn't die with the leader, for he is not dead. He has been raised. But the writers of the Gospels, knowing this context, knowing the multitude of movements and the leaders of these movements and so on and so forth, undertake each one of them in their own way in their writing of the Gospel account to write a compelling story about the death and resurrection of Jesus. 
each of the gospel writers knew that they must give a sound report about the actual death of Jesus. They must, in this context, write about his death. For every, all of these leaders were dying by execution. But they must write a sound report of his death. There's really two reasons why. They must write a sound report to explain the significance of his person and work. He must actually have died. That is what the gospel writers tell us in each one of them. That Jesus did actually die. And by knowing about his death, we're empowered to understand his person, his work, and his life, and his gospel. So we must give sound report of his death. Secondly, they labored to speak of the actual death of Jesus to provide truth over and against widespread rumor and conspiracy. He's not there. He's like everybody else that died by execution and is no longer Okay, so his body is missing, but you know what they did. They moved it. So each one of them, he wasn't really dead. They took him down premature by the hands of Joseph of Arimathea. It even said that Pilate was surprised that he was already dead. They took him down early. They've hidden him away. Don't you see this is a conspiracy? It's not true. He didn't really die. That's why somebody saw him a little bit later. And those 40 people that said they were gathered to him and heard him preach on the kingdom of God, they just saw him because he was healed, you see. So the gospel writers, knowing, indeed, if we're going to understand Jesus and the power of the gospel, we must write a sound report of his death and dying. And if you read the account, you'll see it was written in such a way as to kill rumor and conspiracy. It cannot thrive in the accounts. And I want to show you this morning why. When we read Mark's account, it destroys the idea of conspiracy. It's kind of like one of those statements you say, I couldn't have written it better. One of those kind of things where it takes place in a way so undeniable, you use that expression at some point, you couldn't have written it better. So Mark's gospel is just like that. And it's his way of perhaps even saying to us, I couldn't even wrote that up. Follow with me the first point in which we see the significance of Jesus' actual death. As Mark, in our next couple of moments together, carefully provides the evidence for the actual and authentic death of Jesus. Look with me how he does so in verse 42 through 44. Follow with me in your holy text. And when evening had come, here is the sound report of the death of Jesus of Nazareth. Since it was the day of preparation, that is the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, he took courage He went to Pilate and he asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died. And summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. 
Mark shows us the first character that rises in the narrative to show us the proof positive and authentication of the death of Jesus is this man, the centurion. If you're paying attention to the story, to read it according to the gospel truth, as Mark is recording, recording it, Pilate is surprised, Mark records, by the timing of Jesus' actual death. Should he actually already be death? And in that moment, he appointed a man whose business is death. This is precisely to show you the authentic death of Jesus. In other words, there is no one more qualified to sign off on the deadness of Jesus. He summoned a man whose business is to execute. To look upon death. To inflict it. And so indeed, uh, if you're to ask, is this man, Jesus of Nazareth, actually hanging there dead? As in dead? Dead? You would ask the centurion, go, you know what you're looking at, go and report if Jesus is actually dead. Look at the way that Mark records in verse 45 and when and when he learned from the centurion that he was dead he granted the corpse to joseph the next key character in the narrative speaking of the actual genuine and true death of jesus is the second character of the narrative joseph of Arimathea. The text has already told us, is Joseph, though, is this man trustworthy in his account? The centurion, all right, I'll grant you that. He can identify death. But Joseph of Arimathea, uh, he, he too could be one of these followers. He could have worked the deal. So indeed, Mark is accumulating the evidence. For he notes for us the genuineness of Joseph's character in verse 43. He already noted for us this man, Joseph of Arimathea. He is a respected member of the council. He's a respected man. He is a man who took courage even to approach Pilate and ask him for the body of Jesus. Is this man's story believable? He is well respected among men. And he is a man of great courage. And it is Joseph's actions that Mark then records to once again reinforce the mounting evidence that Jesus really died. Notice with me the actions of Joseph that mount the evidence that Jesus is not a conspiracy theory, but he was dying and was dead. Verse 46, Joseph bought a linen shroud. Taking him down, he wrapped him in the linen shroud and he laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. He rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. There are three actions that Joseph takes here He touched him, that is, he took the dead body of Jesus down from the cross. 
His body was granted upon the testimony of the centurion. He's dead. Joseph takes courage. A man of great character pulls the body of Jesus down. So he touched the body of our Lord. Remember, you're going to hear people rising up everywhere saying that I am he, I am he, I am he. Jesus says, don't go out to them. So to Mark Labor's Church of Christ, he really died. Joseph's testimony is that he touched the dead body of the Lord. Secondly, his action next is that he held him close. Look at the text, describes it as he wrapped his body. There, the evidence of death in his wrapping him is to prepare him for proper burial. There was a face cloth that was placed over the face of the individual who was being prepared and wrapped his body for burial. The face cloth. John's gospel, if you were to go to John's account of this similar situation, it speaks of the face cloth so as to not miss the detail. Jesus, if this were to take place, could not have been lying there breathing and still alive. Or Joseph of Arimathea killed him. He really died on the cross. The hope of the church. He died that we may die. If he didn't, we cannot. He held him and wrapped him, preparing him for burial. Thirdly, his third action of Joseph of Arimathea in order to mount the evidence for the actual death of Jesus is that he left him there in the tomb and he covered him over. If he were alive, this man of well-respected character, a man who is indeed courageous, would not have left him there and reported that he was dead. This is the mounting evidence for the death of Jesus. This is no conspiracy, Mark is telling the church this morning. And he's telling it by the character of Joseph of Arimathea. Joseph is front and center in the testimony to the death of Jesus. But Mark continues to mount the evidence for the death of Jesus. Because you recall, maybe you're even now, I trust you're with me, even now asking, why are we speaking on the death? Good Friday has come and gone. We're here for Resurrection Sunday. We're covering the death. But the glory of the resurrection is necessary. We grasp his death. So Mark writes, labor long. See, he really died. That the glories of the resurrection would be seen so bright. And in that way, he takes these pains through the centurion, the man of death, to the courageous and well-respected man of Joseph of Arimathea. And now he is going to slay the audience, as it were, of the first century. This is where it gets to where you couldn't have written it any better. You can't, perhaps you say, make that kind of stuff up. That is the way that Mark is writing next, very climactically, with the rise 
of the two new characters in the narrative. Join with me as I read the text for you, beginning in verse 47, and I will continue down through chapter 16. Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. They saw the events. They they saw what took place. There was something noting there the place of Jesus. They saw where he was. These two women. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James, Salome, they brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early in the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, They went to the tomb. The two women here that are rising in this narrative to accumulate and mount the evidence for the actual death and resurrection of Jesus, these two women are perhaps even more important than Joseph's actions. They are more important. They are critical to the reality of Jesus' death and resurrection. Their significance, I want to draw for you, is expressed in a couple of ways. When you read this text again at your home, when you read it this year, as you work your way through Holy Scripture, read this text very carefully as Mark is drawing it. The appearance, the significance of these two women is, number one, their presence at all. To you, it might not be all that odd that there are two women here that are rising to be the centerpiece character of the entire narrative of the resurrection. You think, okay, these are the two people who were here. To the first century reader, you're right now, and you're clearly not here at Redeemer. You're falling, as it were, out of your chair right now. I'm looking at the faces of all of you, and you're not as equally shocked. You would have been. Their presence at all is monumental to the story of the resurrection. For two reasons. Well, rather, the reason. In ancient societies, like it or not, ancient societies, the testimony of a woman that was brought forward was quickly pushed away. Or even if there was a group of women making accusation, telling a story, they were not given any credence at all. Women were, bottom line, very marginalized. They were seen as a bit hysterical. We know that not to be true, don't we, men? In the first century context, women were seen to have reported just on hysteria or rumor. So that indeed rises the interest level of the resurrection story. If Mark were to choose the absolute most forthright, most powerful way to tell the resurrection story based on a created story, would he have chosen women to be the forefront key storytellers? Would he have? Thus the comment, you could not even make this up. That women would be those who would see the Lord? Women would be the ones to first report on the resurrection? Mark, if you want anyone to believe in this story, you know you can't take that route. Mark's saying it's precisely why. 
you can see I'm not making it up. The glory of the resurrection is seen through the story of Mark, through the actual death, the reporting of the presence of these women. Number one was their presence. Number two, the significance of their intent. Look at their actions, if you would, as they are approaching. Salome, uh, the two women in verse 1 of chapter 16 brought or they bought spices to bring so that they might go and anoint the body of Jesus. Where did they come to? The place of his burial, the place of the tomb. End of verse 2. Not only their presence and significance, but their intention as well. They were bringing what you see there in the text of verse 1, customary burial spices to place upon the body which is customary of this context, to place it upon the body of Jesus, who indeed they knew was dead. They saw it. They knew he was dead. This is the first portion of the comment that I wish to unpack for you. is The first statement of the gospel. He died that you might die. This is what Mark wants you to grasp this morning. He was truly died. Now, if you continue with me in the text, I wish to read for you the second portion of our unpacking of the statement, He died that you might die. He was raised that you too might be raised. Beginning in verse 4. Well, verse 3, excuse me. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? As they're discussing it, verse 4, looking up, they saw the stone had been now rolled back. It was a very large stone. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. He said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place, come, see the place where they have laid him, and now go. Go tell his disciples. And Peter, that he is going before you, to Galilee. Mark is now laboring to show us the power of his death given way in which the messianic movement of Jesus didn't die along with him. For he is not dead, the angel proclaims. He lives. This is the central tenet of your faith this morning. You're here because you believe. He is not dead. But he has risen. This is what is your foundation that you can pray and be heard. That you too will die and you have the hope of resurrection. The angel declares in a moment to two women the central tenet of Christian belief. Jesus is not dead. For the grave... It could not hold him. Sin, it has 
no power over him. He is alive forevermore. When Jesus comes to the church, as we have been looking together as Redeemer, in Revelation chapter 1, this is exactly what he says to them. Just like the angel said, don't be alarmed. Jesus says to the church, fear not. For I'm alive. To the church this morning, he says, I died. But behold, I am alive forevermore. And all authority is mine. He says that in chapter 1. I hold the keys to death and the grave. I died that you too might die. With the prospect of rising again. For I am alive forevermore. This is the word of Christ. I want to draw your attention to Mark's final portrait of the resurrection. What's significant about this last portion is how the resurrection is not a thing. It displays to us by Mark so very carefully the character of our God who's been raised. The one you love. The one you trust in. The one you're awaiting his glorious appearing. Let me show you how Mark shows us the character of our God when he was raised. Verse 7 and 8. To the women, he says, go. Tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. The comment there that wouldn't also, along with the women, the comment that would not have been missed about the character of our Lord and the power of the resurrection is your hope this morning as well. It is a portrait of of reconciliation and compassion. He is a God of reconciliation and compassion. The significance must not be missed in setting aside the man Peter. If you were to read John's gospel account, he does a full restoration text there of Jesus restoring Peter. The last comment we have of the man Peter prior to this, you remember it? He denied the Lord. Justice told him. And Luke records immediately following, Peter ran out and he wept bitterly. Look at the character of our Lord. In the power of the resurrection.
go tell his disciples and Peter. He is alive. Be reconciled. Grace and compassion are his. Do you know his grace? Do you celebrate the power of the resurrection and the Savior who lives? His grace, his compassion, his gift of reconciliation? It cannot be a thing, an event, but that the event likewise shows us who he is, full of grace, full of compassion. Go tell everybody and the man who wept most bitterly that I'm alive forevermore. This is what Mark is showing us in the beautiful portrait of the uh, resurrection. Secondly, I want to draw your attention not just to his reconciliation, his work of compassion in the resurrection, but also how the resurrection shows us his truthfulness and his faithfulness. Do you need the faithfulness of the Lord? Look at the way the angel shows us and directs us to the character of Christ. Last sentence there of verse 7. There you will see him just as he told you. Do you see? Don't miss even a word of this powerful narrative. The resurrection shows the truthfulness, faithfulness, and trustworthiness of Christ who's been raised. He will be there just as he told you. He tells his disciples in John's gospel about how I'm going away. Where I'm going now, you cannot come. But I will come back for you. He says, if it wasn't so, I wouldn't tell you it. It is truthful that he died and that he was raised just as he told you. Back to the apostle who said, this is a trustworthy saying that if we then died with him, we will also be raised with him just as he told you. Let us pray. Our God, we love you. We celebrate your death. We celebrate even more so your rising from the dead.
we celebrate your death as the event of reconciliation. That which took us from being sinners, paying our penalty as our substitute, and suffering the effects of our sin, yet rising victoriously as righteous. And then through the gospel that's preached, you say, come, repent, and believe that you can die in me. And if you die in me, you will be raised also in me. And for the testimony, Christ, of your word, if it wasn't so, Redeemer Community Church, if these things were not true, I wouldn't be telling them to you. So we, your church, rise up in hope with the apostle this morning. Jesus Christ, we believe this to be trustworthy. So, Lord, we love you, celebrate you, and it is our confession we have died with you. And so, Lord, we long to be raised with you also. John then tells us this is his promise, eternal life. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah to Christ our King. In his resurrected name. Amen.